Good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Stefan. It's great to be with you today. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 46. It's on page 1,442, and the Bible's provided for you. Uh, Like Sam said before, we're doing a sermon series um, following lectionary gospel texts, and we're calling it Abundance Over Scarcity. And we're looking at these texts in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus has interactions with his disciples and with uh, some other folks. And they end up talking, having conversations about things that they have and things that they don't have. And how they feel about things that they have and how they feel about things that they don't have. And the idea is, in this series of texts, the idea is that um, with Jesus and in the kingdom of God... We have so much more than we would assume that we have. That uh, Jesus talks about how, how the Father has storehouses and storehouses of blessings for us and security for us and resources for us. But so often we find ourselves feeling like we have so little. And in these texts, Jesus is begging us to think differently about what we have and what we don't have. And um, to, he's asking us to value things differently than we normally do. So let's take a look at the text. Mark 10, starting at verse 46. Listen to God's word. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. And throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus along the road. This is the word of the Lord. This is a text about sight. It's a text about blindness and sight. Uh, Annie Dillard is an author in one of her books, which is called Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. She has a whole chapter in her book that is devoted to sight. And in this chapter, she tells uh, a handful of stories about people who were born blind because of cataracts. But then later on in their life, they were able to receive a surgery which allowed them to see for the first time. Can you imagine what that would be like? To be a person in your 20s or your 30s or your 40s or whatever, not being able to see any of the physical realities of the world. And then one day, you can. Can you imagine what a shock that would be? 
So Annie Dillard um, talks about how differently these people reacted to being able to see for the first time. Some people were just absolutely dazzled and amazed and excited, and they went along with their life just totally thrilled about everything that was going on. And then there were other people who were petrified by their new ability to see. In fact, a few of them, after they received the surgery, they were so traumatized by suddenly having their sense of sight that they refused to open their eyes. They refused to open their eyes for a handful of weeks at least. Um, there's one person that Dillard describes. It was a woman uh, who's 22 years old. And when she first was able to see, she was, she was dazzled by everything that she saw. She was dazzled by the world's brightness. But then immediately she got afraid. And she ended up closing her eyes for two weeks out of fear. She refused to open her eyes for two weeks. But then at the end of those two weeks, she started to get a little bit of courage back. And so she gathered around her friends and her closest family, and she decided she was going to open her eyes again. And just in a very, very poorly lit room with a handful of people that she trusted really well, she started to open her eyes again. And then for a number of hours, just explored the the things that were just immediately around her. And for hours and hours, the woman said, my God, my God, how beautiful. My God, how beautiful. For hours. Can you imagine what that would be like? It seems to me that this is the kind of seeing that we all long for. The ability to be astonished by things that are astonishing around us. The things that we normally treat as mundane. To be able to see things for their actual beauty and to never lose perspective of the wonder that surrounds us. So this story in Matthew 10 is a text about blindness and about sight. And what made this text really come alive for me this week as I studied it um, was actually was placing it in its context and understanding that Mark, the gospel writer, is trying to make us see. We are meant to see something new in this text. And uh, if you are here last week, it, it might be helpful if you are here last week, we studied the passage that comes right before this one. So uh, in your Bibles, you can take a look if you want. The story right before this one is two of Jesus' disciples, uh, James and John, they approach Jesus and they say, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask. And Jesus says, What do you want me to do for you? And it turns out that they wanted to be important. And they wanted to be impressive. And they were, wanted to call shotgun in the kingdom of God. And Jesus essentially told them, guys, you have no idea what you're asking. And then in our text for this morning, we meet Bartimaeus, who is poor and who is blind and is screaming out on the city streets to get the attention of Jesus. Jesus. 
And he's fighting all of these dismissive attitudes of everyone around him. And when he's finally able to make his way to Jesus, Jesus asks Bartimaeus, word for word, exactly the same question. What do you want me to do for you? Isn't that interesting? The exact same question. You see what Mark wants us to see? He's showing us two different things. On the one hand, you've got these two brothers. And they're a couple of knuckleheads. And they are selfishly asking for something that they could never even get their arms around. They're asking for something that they don't even understand. And then on the other hand, you have this poor, blind beggar who simply wants the ability to not be blind anymore. And for me, this is what Mark wants us to see in the text, that blind Bartimaeus isn't actually the one who's the most blind. In a sense, I think Mark is saying, isn't it James and John who are the ones that really can't see? Isn't it James and John who are most unaware of their surroundings? Isn't James and John, aren't they the ones who are most confused by, what the, by what's going on? They're the ones who are actually blind. Now, the, th the thing that I love the most about this, both the story about Bartimaeus and the story about James and John is just how patient Jesus is. It's such a wonderful question, I think, that Jesus asks. It's the kind of question that a parent says to a child. It's just so humanizing. It's just so honoring. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? It's so humanizing, I think especially with Bartimaeus, because it might have seemed perfectly obvious <laughs> what Bartimaeus wanted, right? But Jesus doesn't presume anything about the man. He doesn't presume anything about what he wants. And Jesus honors his desires. Jesus honors his agency. He honors his personhood. It might have been completely obvious to, every, to everybody what Bartimaeus was going to ask for. After they, they called him blind Bartimaeus. Like, that was his name, Blind Bartimaeus, Blind Bartimaeus. They said it dismissively, Blind Bartimaeus, Blind Bartimaeus. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? What a beautiful question for that man. And I suppose that's what I love about the previous text as well, about James and John. Because Jesus, in the same manner with the same words, asks these two knuckleheads, what do you want me to do for you? He asks them to share their desires with him, and he can handle it. He's not afraid of their desires. He's not unwilling to hear even their privileged, selfish desires. Jesus invites their desires. What do you want me to do for you? Human beings are creatures with desires that are so strong, right? Our desires are so strong that very often we get overpowered by them, like we lose ourselves in them. We forget who we are because 
our desires overpower us and, and become strong. They end up consuming us. And our desires are so complicated because some of our, des our desires are so obviously good and then some of our desires are so obviously bad and then there's a whole bunch of desires that are in between that are somehow neither good nor bad. And then maybe most of our desires are actually contradictory. Like, they're two different things at the same time. We, de we desire opposing things. It's these combinations of love and hate, these combinations of, of fear and excitement, these combinations of fight and flight. I think Paul says this better than any, anybody who ever has. Paul says in Romans 7, he's like, I, I, I don't get it. I do the things that I don't want to do and then the things that I don't want to do are the things that I end up doing. And he's so frustrated by this. I have these crazy desires. And it's like they're, they're, they're at conflict with each other within me. And Jesus says to James and John, who, live, who are looking for this brand new abundance, and Jesus says to blind Bartimaeus, who has never known anything but scarcity, what do you want me to do for you? I find it exceptionally gracious that they get the same question. Especially for someone who identifies much more with James and John than I do with Bartimaeus, I find it exceptionally generous. We can trust Jesus with our desires, and he will direct us. When we're too blind to see what we need, and other times when we're too stubborn to embrace what he's presenting to us, at times when we might find ourselves like that 22-year-old woman in Annie Dillard's book, sometimes it just takes us a little bit of time to get the courage to see what we need to see. So how do we do that? How do we get that courage? How do we begin to see the things that God would have us see and desire the things that we should be desiring? How do we do that? I have to admit, um, it's easy to find this a little bit troubling if your Bibles are still open uh, in the text, it's verse 52. Jesus says to Bartimaeus, he says, this is right after he's healed. Jesus says, go, for your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. Now, what I find troubling about what Jesus says there is that we could really, really easily and really, really tragically misunderstand what Jesus is saying. When Jesus says, your faith has healed you, on the surface, it might seem like, like Bartimaeus was healed because he had enough faith, right? That, that the secret ingredient to getting everything that you want in life is just having enough faith, uh, having enough faith that you'll get the things that you want from God. But that's not how it works. In fact, anyone who's ever tried to play that game knows that that's not how it works. And there are plenty of churches out there who have ruined plenty of lives 
because they have told people that they are suffering because they don't believe enough or because they aren't praying enough or because they haven't prayed the right way and their faith is too, too weak for Jesus to work through them. There are plenty of churches who have ruined plenty of lives with that kind of stuff. And that's a horrible trap to fall into. And that is not what Jesus is talking about here. So then what does Jesus mean when he says, your faith has healed you? Here's the best way I've heard it described. Um, Jack Rhoda says, what Jesus is saying is, your faith has put you in the way of this gift. Your faith has put you in the way of this gift. Your faith has put you in the orbit of Jesus. And when you stand there in the orbit of Jesus, sometimes you get clocked in the head by his gifts. Your faith has put you in the way of this gift. So Bartimaeus, sitting there at the city gates, doing what he normally does, begging for pennies, and he hears the voice of Jesus Nazareth come by, and he calls out for him, and he eventually stands up, and he throws off, of, off his cloak, and he walks into the orbit of the sight and the grace and the acceptance and the understanding of Jesus. And then he followed Jesus down that road. His faith put him in the way of the gifts of Jesus. And then guess what? The same thing happened with James and John. We don't see it as quickly. Bartimaeus, it happens really fast. But with James and John, okay, they, they embarrassed themselves. They had a really foolish, juvenile uh, desire, and they expressed that desire to Jesus, uh, showing that they were totally blind to the realities of the kingdom of God. But did Jesus eventually honor their request? Yeah, he did. He really did. It didn't look anything like they expected it to look. But what ended up happening was they entered the orbit of Jesus and they put themselves in the orbit of sight and in the orbit of grace and the orbit of acceptance and the orbit of understanding. And they followed Jesus through his betrayal and his death and his resurrection. And these two men lived out their lives gratefully being last in the kingdom of God. Gratefully being last in the kingdom of God. And they found out that that way they were actually first. Wouldn't you know it? They got exactly what they were asking for without ever even knowing what they were asking for. They found themselves in the orbit of Jesus and they got walloped by his gifts beyond their wildest imaginations. Their faith put them in the way of gifts of Jesus. Friends of Jesus Christ. It's not a matter of asking Jesus the right questions. And it's not even a matter of having the right desires. More so, it's about having those questions and having those desires and then by faith taking them into the orbit of Jesus. It's not a coincidence that the text that comes immediately after this one 
is the story of Jesus walking into Jerusalem, Palm Sunday. Walking into the orbit of Jesus means walking with him in discipleship. Faith puts us in the way of the gifts of Jesus. Even a naive faith. Even a childish faith. Even a misunderstanding faith. Even a blind faith. Faith puts us in the way of the gifts of Jesus. So let's not neglect our faith. Let's not give in to our cynicism. Let's not give in to a mindset of scarcity. Let's not lose our courage on the path of regaining our sight. Sometimes it takes a long time. Sometimes it takes some real courage, maybe even a few weeks or years before we have the courage with just the right people around us in a poorly lit room to begin to open our eyes just a little bit to see what's actually around us before we say, my God, my God, it's beautiful. Sometimes it takes a little time but let's not neglect our faith. Pray with me. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the wide and gracious orbit that you bring to our world. Draw us closer and closer to the center so that our faith might bring us right into the way of your gifts. Give us the privilege that we don't know that we want. Give us the firstness that is actually lastness. Give us the sight that will help us to see your beauty. Draw us closer and closer into your kingdom, which is so hard for us to imagine. We give our desires to you today, Lord Jesus. We ask you to take them, to honor them, and to mold them into just the things that we need them to be. We trust ourselves to you, Lord Jesus, blind as we are, that more and more we might begin to see. In your holy name we pray. Amen.